Okay, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis chapter 30 this morning, Genesis chapter 30. <coughs> Genesis chapter 30 and we're going to begin uh, from verse 25 this morning, Genesis chapter 30 verse 25. It says, And it came to pass, when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away, that I may go unto mine own place and to my country. Give me my wives and my children, for whom I have served thee. And let me go, for thou knowest my service, which I have, uh, I have done thee. And Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I have found favour in thine eyes, tarry, for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. And he said, Appoint me thy wages and I will give it. Let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can once again uh, gather around your word now. Lord, I pray that you would give us understanding this morning of the passage that's before us, <clears throat> that Lord, you would uh, teach us, instruct us through your word. May we be refreshed and blessed by it. Lord, I pray that you would empower me now through the Spirit, you would give me wisdom and guidance to speak, that it would be your words, it would be your thoughts this morning, and that, Lord, you would receive uh, all the glory, the honour and the praise. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, by this point in uh, chapter 30 of Genesis, Jacob has more than fulfilled his contract with Laban. Okay, of course, he worked that first seven years, and then he agreed to work a second seven years after marrying Leah and Rachel. And that seven years is now up and possibly even more time has passed. As we saw last Sunday, Jacob now has four wives. He has 11 sons and one daughter. Within a few short years, he's found himself to be the head of quite a large family. And this seems to all have occurred, as I said, within that second seven-year period, which, which suggests to us that there is some overlaps with those pregnancies. And this fits with what we read in chapter 31 and verse 41. Just quickly turn over there. In chapter 31, verse 41, it says, Thus have I been twenty years in thy house. I served thee fourteen years for thy two daughters and six years for thy cattle. And thou hast changed my wages ten times. And so in chapter 31, verse 41, we're told that Jacob is with Laban for a total of twenty years and Fourteen of those years were working for his wives. The six, last six years were laboring for his cattle. And so it would seem that this uh, last six years begins here with the birth of Joseph. Okay, it begins here after the birth of Joseph. That's where this six years occurs. And this passage before us this morning now describes these final years laboring for his cattle. Okay, or his flock, his herd that he would take back with him to Canaan. You know, Jacob had spent all these years caring for Laban's flock, and yet he still had nothing of his own. He'd been faithfully serving all these years, he'd been working hard, but he still had nothing to show for it. He was still effectively as poor as the day that he came out of Canaan. Remember, when he left Canaan, he had nothing with him. No, no servants with him, no caravan with him, he was on his own, and he's still just as poor even today. But this morning we see how God is now going to drastically change that situation. God is going to change that situation so that Jacob 
would return to Canaan a very wealthy man. And we see God once more keep his promises to his servant. And so first of all here this morning we see the decision to leave. The decision to leave. In verse 25 it says, And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph, that Jacob said unto Laban, Send me away, that I may go unto mine own place and to my country. In verse 25 we're told that soon after Joseph was born, Jacob approaches Laban and he tells him of his intention to now leave and to head back home to the land of Canaan. And we get the impression, don't we, that Jacob, he's had enough. I mean, he's been there now for 14 years. He's been laboring for free and he's had enough. His obligations to his father-in-law are complete and he now feels it's time to leave and to to, uh, separate and to seek what's best for his uh, growing family. In verse 26, Jacob makes it very clear that his intention is to take his wives and his children with him. Verse 26, it says, Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served thee, and let me go, for thou knowest my service which I have done thee. And so he makes it clear, I'm taking my wives, I'm taking my children with me, let me go. You know, this is a permanent move that he is undertaking here. And in case Laban had any thoughts of stopping him, Jacob reminds Laban that I have done everything that I, that I had to do. I've lived up to my part of the bargain. The agreement is over. You know, Laban had no legal right to stop him from taking his family and now leaving. And we're not surprised, are we, to immediately read of Laban's reluctance to let Jacob go. Okay, in verse 27... It says, And Laban said unto him, I pray thee, if I found favor in thine eyes, tarry, for I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. <coughs> Excuse me. Now we're not surprised to see Laban immediately <coughs> that he's reluctant to let Jacob leave, and immediately we see him pleading with Jacob to stay. Yeah, but there's no pleading here for him not to take his daughters and not to take his grandchildren away from him. That's, that's not what Laban's concern is. Laban's concern here is the loss of material gain. His concern is the loss of the blessing that he knows had come upon him because of the presence of Jacob. He says there in verse 27, For I have learned by experience that the Lord hath blessed me for thy sake. This is what he's concerned about, losing that blessing that's upon him because of Jacob, because God's blessed him. You know, Laban had observed, observed, sorry, over the last 14 years, he'd been watching Jacob, and he had observed how God had blessed his labor. You know, Laban knew that he personally had increased in wealth, increased in flocks, in herds, increased in all these things because of Jacob's presence. It had had a positive effect. And it's this material blessing that Laban is concerned about, that he's afraid of losing here. One commentator wrote this, His selfish uncle was averse to a separation, not from warmth of affection, either for Jacob or his daughters, but from the damage his own interests would sustain. He had found from long observation the blessing of heaven rested on Jacob and that his stock had wonderfully increased under Jacob's management. You see, this is what he's concerned about. He's not, not concerned about you know, seeing his daughters leave and his grandchildren leave. He doesn't care about that. His concern is the material blessing. 
You know, sadly, this shows us something of Laban's heart, doesn't it? The, the wrong focus that Laban had. And we've already seen it earlier in the book of Genesis, but it comes out here again. His wrong focus. You know, Laban was purely focused upon the earthly, wasn't he? Upon material gain, that was his purpose. That was his focus in life. That was his concern. And because of this focus, he pleads with Jacob to stay, and he again now seeks to bind Jacob to a contract that will keep him there. And so once more we see Laban tell Jacob to name his wages. Verse 28, he says, and he said, appoint me thy wages and I will give it. He says to Jacob once more, he says, appoint me your wages. Set me your wages. Now this approach has worked favorably for Laban before, hasn't it? Now 14 years earlier, Laban had said to Jacob, set me your wages. Chapter 29, just quickly. Verse 15. It says, And Laban said unto Jacob, Because thou art my brother, shouldest thou serve me for naught? Tell me, what shall, my wage, what shall thy wages be? And so he'd done this once before. Fourteen years earlier, he'd said to Jacob, Set me your wages. What shall I pay you? And of course, on that occasion, Jacob had desired to marry Rachel, and so he agreed, he offered to work for free for seven years to pay the dowry. And that contract had been extended to a second seven years after Laban deceived him. The point is, Laban certainly came out on top, didn't he, of that agreement, of that arrangement. You know, he came out on top, he got 14 years of free service. And as we've just seen, and God blessed that service. You know, Laban had profited greatly from that, that agreement that was in place. He'd come out on top once before, and so now he again says to Jacob, set thy wages. And he's again seeking here to get the better of Jacob. He's again seeking to keep him there and to get on top of Jacob and come out on top. Morris notes this. He had no other daughters to offer Jacob, of course. So this time the arrangement would have to be one of actual payment of money or property. Laban's offer seemed generous, but later developments showed he had not actually intended to let Jacob leave with anything. As we go on and read chapter 31, it's very clear that Laban had no intention of letting Jacob leave with anything. You know, as we read chapter 31, he continually changes the terms of their agreements. Just quickly read chapter 31, verse 7 with me. It says, And your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. Ten times Laban would change the wages, change the terms of this agreement. Because all the way along, he's trying to get on top of Jacob and come on, out on top materially. And eventually, Jacob has to flee in order to get away with anything. You see, it's clear that even though Laban lets Jacob set the terms here, and this seems like a generous offer, Laban actually had no intention of letting him leave with anything. He couldn't be trusted. He's a dishonest man, concerned only about the material, about the earthly things. So we see this decision to leave, and we see Laban trying to get him to stay, and that leads us now, secondly, to the agreement made. The agreement made. Look in verse 29 with me. It says, And he said unto him, Thou knowest how I have served thee, and how thy cattle was with me. For it was little which thou hast before I came, and it is now increased unto a multitude. And the Lord hath blessed thee since my coming, and now when shall I provide for mine own house also? And he said, What shall I give thee? And Jacob said, Thou shalt not give me anything 
If thou wilt do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep thy flock. I will pass through all the, thy flock today, remove from thence all the speckled and spotted cattle, spotted cattle, sorry, and all the brown cattle among the sheep, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and of such shall be my hire. So shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come, when it shall come for my hire before thy face. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats, and brown among the sheep, that shall be counted stolen with me. And Laban said, Behold, I would it might be according to thy word. Here we see the agreement that's reached between the two men, between Jacob and Laban. But you know, before we see Jacob make his proposal, the first thing he does is he takes this opportunity to give his own testimony concerning God's hand of blessing. You know, so verse 29 <clears throat> says, And he said unto him, Thou knowest how I have served thee, and how thy cattle was with me, for it was little which thou hast before I came, and it is now increased unto a multitude. And the Lord hath blessed thee since my coming. And now when shall I provide for mine own house also? He starts out by giving his own testimony concerning God's hand of blessing. You know, Jacob here effectively builds upon what Laban had just said. Okay, Laban in verse 27 had just acknowledged that he had been blessed because of Jacob's presence. And Jacob now builds upon that. He acknowledges what Laban has said and he builds upon this admission and he reminds Laban that before he came, Laban didn't have much at all. You know, Laban had very little. He was not a very rich or successful herdsman before Jacob arrived. That's what he says there in verse 30. For it was little which thou hast before I came, and now it is increased unto a multitude. And so he reminds Laban, he says, when I first arrived, you didn't have much at all. But since I've been here these 14 years laboring, God has blessed you abundantly. God has given you all these things. You know, but throughout those 14 years, as, as Laban is profiting, as God is blessing, Jacob himself had not once taken any of it for himself, had he? Okay, he'd not once taken any of this. He'd not used this for his own advantage. And that's how he ends verse 30. He says, and now when shall I provide for mine own house? I've done all this for you and God has blessed you abundantly, Laban. When shall I provide for my own house? See, Jacob reminds Laban that you've reaped the benefits of my presence. You've reaped the blessings from God. And he says, now it's only reasonable that I provide for my own family. In verse 31, we see Laban acknowledges this, and he again re reiterates his offer to give him anything if he will stay. Verse 31, it says, And he said, What shall I give thee? You know, Laban says, I'll give you anything. What shall I give you for you to stay and to continue to labor? He doesn't want to lose this hand of blessing from God upon his, his livestock. You know, he probably expected Jacob to ask for a portion of land or a portion of the herd. But instead, what does Jacob say? Jacob responds by saying, Thou shalt not give me anything. You notice that? He says, Thou shalt not give me anything. Laban says, What shall I give thee? I'll give you anything. And he says, I don't want anything from you. He didn't want Laban to be able to say, I made you rich. As soon as I read this, it reminded me of Abraham back in chapter 14. When he made a similar declaration, just go back to chapter 14. <clears throat> chapter 14, verse 21. 
It says, And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons, and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand unto the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Abraham made a very similar declaration, didn't he? You know, the king of Sodom offered for him to take all the spoils of war, all the goods that he had rescued. And Abraham said, I will not take anything. I made a declaration unto the Lord, I won't do this, lest you should say, I've made Abraham rich. He was going to trust in God. And you see, we see Jacob make a similar decision here. He's going to trust in God to bless him, God to provide. He's not going to take from Laban. And so he makes this declaration here, Thou shalt not give me anything. Jacob is going to let God be the one to bless him, to give him the increase, not Laban. And he knew, you know, he knew that God had made promises to him, hadn't he? You know, when, when he first left Canaan, remember he met the Lord, the staircase to heaven. And the Lord talked to him. And God had told him that he would bless him. God had told him he'd bring him back to the land of Canaan. And that he would give him all these things. And so he's trusting in the promises of God here. He's trusting in God's promises. And that God will keep those promises under him. Morris writes this. Jacob did not wish Laban to give him anything. He had learned that God would supply what he had wanted him to have. And he did not wish to be indebted in any way to a man whom he had come to know as a self-seeking, deceptive, ungodly schemer. That's the truth of the matter. That's what, that's what Laban was, a self-seeking, deceptive, ungodly schemer. And he doesn't want to be indebted to him. He wants to be indebted only to the Lord. And so it's with this in mind that Jacob now makes his proposal. And it's, and it's a proposal that really puts it all on the Lord. It's a proposal that gives God the opportunity to bless Jacob Materially, and it, for it to be evident that God is blessing him. Just as he had blessed Laban through Jacob, okay, it gives God the opportunity now to bless him. And we see that proposal here at the end of verse 31, down to verse 34. Let's just read it again. It says, Jacob said, Thou shalt not give me anything. If thou wilt do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep thy flock. I will pass through all the flock today, removing from thence all the speckled and spotted cattle, <clears throat> and all the brown cattle among the sheep, and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and of such shall be my hire. So shall my righteousness answer for me in time to come, when it shall come for my hire before thy face. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats, and brown among the sheep, that shall be counted stolen with me. And Laban said, Behold, I would it might be according to thy word. Basically here, Jacob tells Laban, he says, I will continue to feed. I'll continue to look after your flock as I've done for these last 14 years. He says, but the pay, my wages shall be those that are born bearing less desirable colors. Okay, all those new lambs that are of these less desirable colors, they will now belong to him. It seems that Laban's herd was predominantly solid colored animals. Okay, they were white sheep or they're solid black or solid brown goats. But there are a few amongst the herd that were spotted, that were spe speckled, okay, among the goats or brown among the sheep. And it's these that Jacob proposes be his wages. Okay? Any future livestock born with those characteristics, 
would belong to him. But in a further demonstration of his faith, Jacob first says, first declares that he will remove all existing cattle, all existing sheep and goats bearing these colors from the herd. That's verse 32 there. And I'll pass through all thy flock today, remove from thence all the speckled and spotted cattle and all the brown cattle among the sheep and the spotted and speckled among the goats and of such shall be my high. He goes through, he says, I will go and remove all of those that have these characteristics already. I'll take them out of the herd. I'll set them separate so that they can't intermingle with the herd. You know, Jacob here is effectively stacking the deck against himself, isn't he? He's stacking it against himself. He says, Laban, I won't even keep these ones that already have those characteristics in the herd to breed from. I'll take them out. And we'll start afresh. And whatever is born, that will belong to me. You see, in theory, this greatly reduces his chances, doesn't it? If not, makes them almost impossible for any to be born with these marks or colors. Morris writes this, it was an act of pure faith on his part. He had put himself entirely at God's mercy. It would be up to the Lord to indicate by a very unlikely set of circumstances whether Jacob should prosper personally or not. That's what he's doing here. He's putting his faith completely in the Lord and he's trusting in God to give him the increase. You see, Jacob's faith here is clearly seen by this proposal. He's putting his trust completely in God and God is going to have to do this for him. God is going to have to bless him if he's going to have anything when he leaves. You know, Laban, when he heard this proposal, he must have rubbed his hands together with glee, doesn't he? He must have thought, this is a great deal. Once again, Jacob's thrown himself under the bus. He's given me an awesome deal once more and he's going to have nothing when he leaves. You see, it seems like a great proposal to Laban. You know, one that's completely stacked in his favor. And so he readily agrees to the terms, doesn't he? Verse 34, he says, And Laban said, Behold, I would it might be according to thy word. He's excited about this deal. He's excited. This proposal means that he loses nothing he already owns. He doesn't have to give Jacob anything he already owns. And it appears that he's not going to lose much in the future. He's thinking he might get one or two. He might get a few. I'm not going to lose much. But just to make sure that Jacob didn't somehow cheat him, because Laban himself is a deceiver, isn't he? And so he thinks, well, if it was me, I'd be deceiving. So just to make sure that Jacob doesn't somehow cheat him, Laban takes it upon himself. Remember, Jacob said, I will remove the speckled and the spotted. No, Laban says, no, no, I'll do that. He takes it upon himself to remove these from the herd. Look in verse 35. It says, and he, that's talking about Laban, and he removed that day the he goats that were ring-stracked and spotted and all the she goats that were speckled and spotted and every one that had some white in it and all the brown among the sheep and gave them into the hands of his sons. So Laban says, no, no, I'll do it. And he goes through the herd and he picks every single one out that had Anything. You can imagine looking for the tiniest little spot, can't you? Well, that one's got a dot of white. Take that one out. But he's looking for any that fit this description. He wants to remove them. He doesn't want to give Jacob any chance. You see, once again, we see Laban's self-seeking, don't we, and his, and his ungodly nature. You know, he doesn't trust Jacob. He doesn't trust Jacob. 
He wants to make sure that he comes down on top, and so he personally oversees the removal of the odd-colored animals from amongst the herd. But not only that, he doesn't just remove them. He makes sure they're kept so far away that there's no possibility of mixing. Look in verse 36. And he set three days' journey betwixt himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flocks. He takes them three days' journey away. He's, he's not leaving it to chance, is he? Laban is so concerned that Jacob's going to cheat him that he's going to remove them three days apart so there's no possibility. But you know, really all that Laban does here is ensure that God's providential care and God's provision of Jacob shines even brighter. That's all he's done. He's just made it so that when you see God's hand, you go, God is awesome. God is in control. He just makes it even more obvious that God is blessing Jacob. And that brings us to the final point now this morning. We see the providence of God. Now let's read this section. It's a section which we probably know and we've probably been very confused by. But let's read it. Verse 37. So then Jacob took him rods of green poplar and of the hazel and chestnut tree and peeled white strakes in them and made the white appear which was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had peeled <coughs> before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs when, they, when the flocks came to drink, that they should conceive when they came to drink. And the flocks conceived before the rods and brought forth cattle rinstracked, speckled and spotted. And Jacob did separate the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the rinstract and all the brown in the flock of Laban. And he put his own flock by themselves and put them not in unto Laban's cattle. And it came to pass, whensoever the stronger cattle did conceive, that Laban laid the rods, sorry, that Jacob laid the rods before the eyes of the cattle in the gutters, <coughs> that they might conceive among the rods. When the cattle were feeble, he put them not in, so the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. And the man increased exceedingly, and much cattle, and maid servants and men servants, and camels and asses. We come now to the section of the story that probably if you're like me, has left many of us scratching our heads wondering what on earth is going on. You know, we've just said that Jacob refuses anything from Laban because he's going to trust in God to provide. And yet now we read this section which is very strange and it seems to suggest that Jacob is trusting in anything but God. Initially as we read this, <clears throat> this passage, it seems like Jacob is putting his trust in some very peculiar methods to make sure that the sheep and the goats only produce offspring which would be his. Now that's what we read there in verse <coughs> 38. Let's read it again. <coughs> Excuse me. We'll start in verse 37. So Jacob took him rods of green poplar and of the hazel and chestnut tree and peeled white strakes in them and made the white appear which was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had peeled before the flocks in the gutters and in the, water, in the watering troughs when the flocks came to drink, that they should conceive when they came to drink. And the flocks conceived before the rods and brought forth cattle ringstracked, speckled, and spotted. These verses seem to suggest at first reading, they seem to suggest that he <coughs> places these striped sticks, rods, before the flocks so that they would see them and conceive striped and speckled offspring. That's how it reads. That's how it comes across. That's how it, it, that it, 
comes across to us as we first read it, that somehow by looking at these sticks, these rods, marks were then impressed upon the fetus so that they somehow conceived and brought forth flock that was his, lambs that were his. As I said, at first reading, this is how the passage comes across and it leaves us feeling very confused, doesn't it? Because, you know, living in these modern times and knowing modern science, we wonder how on earth could this be? How on earth could doing this produce speckled and spotted flock? This makes no sense from a scientific point of view. And indeed, this passage and this interpretation has led to much ridicule from the unsaved. Now, Anson in Genesis writes this, This section is the one which is most heavily criticized as being superstitious folklore and snake oil medicine proving that the Bible is full of fairy tales and that the writer Moses was ignorant of any real medical knowledge. The charge is made that these goat herders in Canaan obviously knew nothing about genetics and so believed in an almost Lamarckian prenatal influence or even fertility magic. See, the unsaved look at this passion and they go, see, the Bible's full of fairy tales. The Bible's full of superstition, superstitious folklore, snake oil medicine. And so they point to this passage to prove that the Bible is just full of fairy tales. But you know, as believers, we know that God's word is true. And we know that God's word agrees with science. And we also know that Jacob was a smart man, a man with extensive knowledge of how to care for flocks. Morris notes this, Jacob was over 90 years old at this time, that he was a very intelligent and careful observer and that he had spent most of his long life raising and studying cattle, sheep and goats, he would have been most unlikely to have been taken in, taken in by a groundless superstition. I mean, Jacob's no fool, is he? He spent his whole life caring for flocks. He knows what he's doing. And so what he is doing here obviously has a purpose, doesn't it? You see, knowing this about Jacob makes us realize that something else is going on here. This is not superstition. He's not carrying out some snake oil medicine. And so we need to examine the passage more closely, don't we? And the surrounding context to understand exactly what is going on here. And when we do that, it becomes clear that Jacob is not putting his faith in any sight-based breeding trick. He's not putting his faith in any superstitious uh, trick here of any sorts. Rather, he is putting his faith in God. You see, from chapter 31, verse 10 to 12, we learn that God has actually revealed to him in a dream something special. Chapter 31, verse 10. <clears throat> says, And it came to pass at the time that the cattle conceived, then I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leapt upon the cattle were ringstracked, speckled, and grizzled. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, right? And I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes and see. All the rams which leap upon the cattle are ringstracked, speckled, and grizzled. For I have seen all that Laban doeth unto thee. God had given him a dream. And in that dream, God had got him to look and to see these, that the rams, breeding with the ewes, were in fact speckled and spotted. Now, of course, he's... All, the, all those have been removed from the flock, and so only the solid color remained in the herd. 
And so what God is telling him here is that those that are breeding with the ewes actually have the genetics necessary to produce spotted and speckled offspring. That's what God's telling him. God says, Jacob, don't worry. The rams that are breeding with the herd, they are going to produce speckled and spotted cattle. They're going to produce these ones of these multicolors for you. You see, this is what Jacob's relying upon. Jacob is relying upon God's word, God's revelation to him. God had said, this is what's going to happen, and Jacob is trusting in it. He's not attempting any trick here to ensure that they breed as desired. God had already shown him that they would. God's already told him that the rams leaping upon the ewes are indeed speckled and spotted. And so he's acting in faith. He's not attempting a trick. He's not intent attempting to ensure that this happens. And so what then is Jacob doing? Because I can see you're all at home thinking that. What then is Jacob doing here with these striped and peeled rods? Well, let's again examine the passage. Verse 37 again. It says, Jacob took him rods of green poplar and of the hazel and chestnut tree and peeled white strakes in them and made the white appear which was in the rods. And he set the rods which he had peeled before the flocks in the gutters, in the watering troughs, when the flocks came to drink, that they should conceive when they came to drink. Where does he put the rods? Jacob puts them in the watering troughs. That's where he's putting them. He's taking these rods, these sticks, these green sticks from these trees, and he's putting them in the flock's water source as they come to drink. He's not putting them before their eyes. He's not putting them there for them to look at, that by some mystical way they might imprint upon the fetus. He's putting them in their water. He's mixing them with their water. In verse 37, as we just read, it tells us that he peels parts of the bark on these sticks. Okay? He takes a knife and he peels part of the bark to reveal the white flesh underneath, to reveal the sap in the bark. So it's seeping out. And so he takes these sticks from these three different trees, the poplar, the hazel or almond tree, and chestnut or plane tree. He peels the bark and he puts these sticks in the water for the flocks to drink. So rather than superstition here, immediately what it seems to be is that Jacob is dosing their water, isn't he? Okay, he's dosing their water with chemicals, with nutrients from these trees. And indeed, modern science has shown that these trees produce chemicals which have medical properties. Anson Genesis writes this, There are several scientific journal papers that mention that the particular trees from which Jacob peeled sticks supposedly cure uh, urogenital problems, reduce fever, work as anti-inflammatories, and aid in reducing reproductive disorders. All of these would make an animal healthier and more likely to produce healthy offspring. Many of the chemical compounds would still be beneficial even by simply steeping in water. Just by putting them in the water, putting the cuts in them, allowing the, the sap to ooze out, it would put the properties in the water for the animals to drink. The same article goes on and notes the poplar, okay, poplar's supplementation increased ewe reproductive rate by approximately 20 to 
They've done studies by giving them this supplementation and it increases their reproductivity. It increases their ability to carry their lambs to full term and maybe to have more than one. And so far from carrying out some superstitious practice here, Jacob is just being a good shepherd. You notice that? Jacob is just being a good shepherd. He is caring for the health of the flock. And he accordingly puts these sticks in their water when they're in heat, when they're at the time of breeding. He puts it in the water to make sure they're ready. He's caring for their health. He's making sure they are healthy, that they're ready to be able to produce strong offspring. You know, more than likely, this is what Jacob has done every single breeding season. This is nothing new. It's just we're reading about it for the first time. It's God that ensures that the offspring are speckled and spotted. God does that. Jacob just keeps on going about being a shepherd. God gives the increase. God makes sure that he gets, you know, he gets these speckled and spotted lambs, that God blesses him. You know, in verse 40, we see that Jacob now weans and he separates these lambs from the flock. It says, And Jacob did separate the lambs and set the faces of the flocks toward the ringstract and all the brown in the flock of Laban, and he put his own flocks by themselves and put them not unto Laban's cattle. He now weans the, the flock, okay, the, the lambs, sorry, he weans them, he separates them out, and little by little, Jacob is now growing his own flock, his own herd. But he keeps them separate, doesn't he? He takes them, he puts them separate from Laban's herd. You notice he's still not mixing them in, is he? He's still not mixing them in and somehow trying to cheat Laban. He's taking them out, he's putting them separate. He's still trusting in God, isn't he? Season after season, he's trusting in God to give the increase. He's leaving it all up to God. And eventually Jacob ends up with quite a large flock and his livestock is stronger than Laban's. But again, this is simply because of God's providence. You see, all that Jacob does in verse 41 and 42 is continue to care for the flock. Just read verse 41 with me. <clears throat> it says, And it came to pass, whensoever the stronger cattle did conceive, that Jacob laid the rods before the eyes of the cattle in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the cattle were feeble, he put them not in. So the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. All he's doing here is just continuing to care for the flock. Now, he makes sure that with the stronger breeding sheep and goats, he puts the sticks in their water. You know, he puts this in their water to make sure they're healthy, they're strong, that their offspring is strong. With the weaker ones, he doesn't. Why? Selective breeding. He's making sure that he doesn't want the weak ones, he doesn't want the offspring of the weak, he wants the offspring of the strong. And so he's not encouraging them, he's not helping them to get pregnant, he's not helping them to conceive. Morris notes this, thus the stronger animals were stimulated to mate and the others were not. This measure constituted sound practice of animal husbandry and should have been as of great benefit to Laban as it was to Jacob. Now really, this should have benefited Laban just as much as Jacob. He's just caring for the strong. He's making sure that the lambs are all strong. He's selectively breeding for the stronger sheep, stronger goats. He's just caring for the flock. 
You see, it's God that makes sure that the majority of the strong lambs are speckled and spotted and that the weak are not. God does that. It's the providence of God that leads to Jacob in verse 43 being increased in wealth. It says in verse 43, And the man increased exceedingly and had much cattle and maidservants and men servants and camels and asses. God is the one who gives that increase. God's the one who blesses him abundantly. And as we'll see in chapter 31 next time, Laban repeatedly changes the terms of the agreement. As he sees that you know, Jacob's flock's getting bigger and bigger, he says, no, no, you can't have all those ones. You can only have this particular type. And what happens when they breed? That particular type is born. You see, every time he changes it, God makes sure that Jacob comes out on top. It's God who gives the increase. God blesses him here. You see, once more this morning, what we see here is that God blesses when we place our faith and trust in him. That's what we learn here, isn't it? Jacob trust, trusted in the Lord and in the word of God, and God blessed him. Jacob trusted God to provide for him. He trusted God to overcome the evil of his uncle. He trusted in the promises of God. He trusted in God's revelation under him. You know, God had told him in a dream, the offspring will be spotted and speckled. And Jacob believed God's word, and he continued to faithfully labor. And he trusted and believed in the power of his God to keep his word no matter the circumstances he faced. And beloved, like Jacob, we have the word of God as our foundation, do we not? That is our foundation. The word of God, the revelation unto us. And in his word, is, he's promised us so many things. He's promised to take care of us. He's promised to provide all our needs. He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. We could go on and on. But the point is, that is where our faith and our confidence rests. It's in the word of God and in his promises to us. And it's with that as our focus that we are to faithfully labor and serve here on earth. You know, Matthew 6, 33 tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Seek first God's kingdom. Seek him first and God will take care of the earthly concerns. You see, that was Laban's problem, wasn't it? Laban was only concerned with the earthly. That's what he sought after. But Jacob sought the spiritual, and God blessed him abundantly. And beloved, we must be like Jacob. We must seek the spiritual, seek the heavenly, put God first, seek to bring glory to his name, faithfully labor for him, whether that's in our secular job or whether it's in ministry, wherever it might be, we need to faithfully labor for him and when we do, God will take care of the rest. You see, God will never let us down. He will always keep his promises. And he will provide for us in his providential care, just like he did for Jacob. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I pray that this morning we've gained an understanding of this passage that maybe we haven't before. And that, Lord, we're able to see your goodness to Jacob. Your hand of blessing upon him as, Lord, he trusted in you. He put you first and he, he labored faithfully. And, Lord, you blessed him. You kept your word to him. And, Lord, may you help us to realize the same thing. You've given us so many wonderful promises in your word. Lord, may you help us every day to trust in the promise of your word, trust in the, the revelation you've given unto us. Lord, help us with that knowledge to just faithfully labor, faithfully serve here on earth. 
seeking first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things shall be added unto you. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for your goodness and your love. Bless as we close now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.